Blog Talk Radio. Are high. 
among Jets fans. And I can only imagine what life is like right now in Florham Park. Staying with the draft theme, we're also going to take a look at Mike McCagnin's drafts since taking over, hits, misses, um, what he did right, what you know, what what could he have done better. We're we're uh, and, and we're going to go back further than that too, because honestly, when you look at McCagnin's picks versus if you go back 15, 20 years of uh, of just looking strictly at first rounders, because let's face it, that's where you got to hit. I mean, you build your roster through the draft, and, and it's hitting on those late guys is, is what builds the backbone of a roster. But when you're swinging and missing regularly in the first round, that's really tough. That's really tough to, to stay competitive when you're doing that. So we'll look at McCagnin versus the guys that have preceded him going, going as far back as Bill Parcells. Um, so really quick before, uh, before we get rolling here, um, if you want, follow me on Twitter. AceFan23, that's A-C-E, Fan23, on Twitter. If you want to call in and talk a little bit of draft, talk a little bit of Jets, if you so desire, you can call us at 646-716-4697. Again, that is 646-716-4697. All right, so getting underway right off the bat here with with our, our Mock Draft 2.0. Very unlikely there will be another one unless something completely off the wall happens that, that shakes things up hugely. So round one, as we all know, the Jets picking number three overall, traded up from six with the Colts, gave them a few second rounders. First overall pick, we all know it's going to be a quarterback, and we're tabbing Baker Mayfield with this pick. Third overall out of Oklahoma, Baker Mayfield. So why Baker Mayfield? The thinking here is that Mayfield it, – it, don't want to hear about the height. Is it an issue? Yes. Is it enough to stop you from drafting a quarterback who can do the things he can do? No. That's foolish. Um, if he were a mediocre quarterback who was limited in his other skills and was short, absolutely. But the way this guy can avoid pressure, move outside the pocket, make plays on the run, improvise, things like that, this is why we're projecting him. I'm projecting him to the Jets with the third overall pick, and also, um, you know, complete 100% guess. I mean, all of this stuff is anyway. But I, I really feel like somebody, I think either the Giants are bluffing and they're taking a quarterback at two, or I think the Buffalo Bills or somebody is going to do something crazy and give up the farm to jump up ahead of the Jets to number two and, and take Josh Rosen. Um, and the Bills may take Allen. They may take Josh Allen. You know, who knows? But I feel like Josh Rosen won't fall to two or to three with the Jets. And honestly, I'm fine with that. If the Jets end up with Josh Rosen, listen, I, I, I feel like everything right now, whether it's sports or politics or anything, everything is polarizing. Everyone is like, you can't possibly like two of these guys. If you have to like Mayfield and hate Rosen or like Rosen and hate Mayfield, I don't get it. Both guys have shown that they can be – or both guys have shown they have the skill set to be successful NFL quarterbacks. It's going to be down to the coaching staff, namely Jeremy Bates, to get these guys to play at a pro level, to get them to make a difference. And whether it's Baker Mayfield or Josh Rosen, I'm going to be happy on draft day regardless. If it's Josh Allen, I'm going to be a little bit like, eh, I'm not going to be thrilled. I know a lot of Jets fans won't. Um like anybody, I see the potential there, but too too high risk to take in the third round for a team that's you know that is in such dire need of a quarterback. 
I think they're going to go with one of the safer picks. I think it's going to be Mayfield or Rosen. We're mocking Mayfield at three with the assumption Rosen is gone at that spot. And I don't know if you caught it, but Rich Samini said the other day, um, regardless of who's there, he said he thinks Rosen's their guy. He thinks Josh Rosen I'm – sorry, I'm sorry, Baker Mayfield. Samini said that he thinks Baker Mayfield's the guy that even if Rosen is there, Mayfield's their pick. Um, so we'll know in just a couple of weeks. Thank God. Thank God enough of this. And uh, bear with us tonight. We haven't done a show in a couple of days because some technical stuff, so I'm hoping we're able to push through and get a whole show done without any issues. Um, just want to throw that in there. So, again, Mayfield, number three overall to the Jets. If it's not Mayfield, then it's Rosen. We're going to say Rosen, Rosen falls, and the Jets grab him. Uh, Mayfield, you know, Mayfield, does Mayfield go one? It's, some, it's hard to – I guess the only reason it's hard to imagine is because nobody is saying it will happen. But And I know I've mentioned this on the show before. Scott McLuhan, former GM, highly respected talent evaluator, working in the Cleveland Browns front office, and they, they have crowded that front office with years and years of general manager experience. They want to get this right, and you, have to, you kind of have to applaud that. Um, but McLuhan is supposedly, at the moment, is said to be sort of the right-hand man to their GM. And uh, he said before signing on to work with the Browns, he said that in his mind, Baker Mayfield was hands down the top quarterback in this draft. So how much impact is he going to have in that war room? Nobody knows. But I wouldn't be shocked if Mayfield goes one for that reason, if McLuhan can sell them on Mayfield and make that happen. The, the, the film is there. The leadership is there. Tangibles, the, everything you look for is there minus the height. So you have to ask yourself, are we going to let a couple inches of height stop us from drafting this guy? Um, and especially, you know, you, you, see the, you hear the comparisons, Drew Brees, Russell Wilson. Oh, he's not those guys. He's not those guys. Do we, do we really know that? I mean, he's not, right now he's not. He may never be. But just because it's infrequent that we see a quarterback of his height succeed in the NFL doesn't mean it's never going to happen again. It does happen. It's rare, but he is a rare type of player. The things he does, the traits he has. You don't expect a guy that height you know, or, or his size to, to, to go into the combine and get measured on, you know, all the quarterbacks, something they started years back, they measure their velocity now. You know, how, how much, how much, yeah, fine, fine, you're throwing a 50-yard pass, but how long is it taking to get there? Are you throwing it at 47 miles an hour, where it's taking significantly longer and that window is going to close by the time the ball is getting there? Or are you letting it rip? And Josh Allen, who's got, you know, this howitzer of an arm, nobody was surprised when he finished at the top of that list in, in, in velocity. Baker Mayfield was number two. Baker Mayfield can sling it. And you hear people say this guy can't throw the deep ball. Guess what? Those people aren't watching. <laughs> Those people don't know what they're talking about. And if you want to criticize a guy, criticize him. There's, there's things and flaws you can find in everybody's game. None of these guys are perfect prospects. Baker Mayfield can, can launch it. So when you hear a guy, I don't care if he's a – I don't care who he is. Anybody tells you Baker Mayfield can't throw a deep ball, stop listening there because they stopped watching a long time ago. So he's our pick at one or at three in the first round. Rosen is the alternate. Uh, most polished guy, great mechanics. You know, everyone says what a bright guy he is. Jim Moore came under fire for, you know, wording it in such a way that it sounded like he's being critical of Rosen. He came back after the fact, maybe cleaning up a little bit, saying 
he was misinterpreted. He thought it was a good thing. He's going to question coaches because he wants to challenge them and he wants to be challenged. He's not a millennial brat. He's just a super smart guy. Um, so cerebral, great arm. Well, sorry, not great arm, good arm. And um, from from what we're reading and from what our eyes are showing us, I went back and watched you know several of his games. It was Texas A&M, that huge comeback win. He, he did some amazing things in college. Concerns with him, the concussions. And as I've said before, it's, concussions are one thing, um, but it's multiplied, in my mind anyway, many times when you've got a guy with concussions whose father is a, a neuroscientist and, uh, and already has a bunch of money in the bank. So how long does this guy play the game if he gets a couple more hits? Um, it's not, you know, in all likelihood it won't be a factor but it's something that's it's, it's hard to completely ignore. But me personally, as a fan, on draft day, when they take Mayfield or, or, or Rosen, I'm going to be smiling ear to ear, and every Jet fan should be. And all eyes from that point on are on Jeremy Bates because the number of times you see players come into this league who produce, who are not, not, not just produce, it's not just about stats and production, but guys who show the traits do the things that need to be done to at least be good. Just even a good quarterback you can win with if you build around them. You don't have to be great. There's no reason Baker Mayfield, and there's no reason Josh Rosen shouldn't be good NFL quarterbacks. That should be their floor. Their floor should be that they're good players. And even if you have a good quarterback for 15 years, when was the last time the Jets had that never? Never sounds about right. Let's get that in place here. I mean, come on. Enough is enough. So, of course, as we mentioned earlier, the Jets traded their second-round picks in order to move up to three. So, no second-rounders for Jets as of right now. And don't see that changing come draft day. So, they don't pick again until the third round. And you have to look at, you know, behind, after quarterback, I don't think you would find a, you know, if you're even a part-time fan and you're only paying attention every now and again, you know that this team hasn't had an edge rusher that opposing defenses or offenses cared about since John Abraham. That's a decade, folks. I know the QB drought's even worse, but the edge rusher situation is pretty embarrassing as well. Missed on several picks. Free agents haven't worked out. A couple guys flash for a few weeks and then disappear. So that's where we're going in round three. Round three, number 72 overall. The Jets need an edge rusher. Edge rusher, Somebody who can be a, provide a presence for opposing teams to have to plan for. And this is a guy that I, I slotted here. I started this a couple of weeks ago, work on it sporadically. When I first started, I feel like everything I saw had him going third, fourth round. Now everything I'm seeing, I'm seeing him mid, late, second round. So, again, we'll see. But I'm going with Kamiko Toure from Rutgers. Here's a guy, physical specimen, off the charts measurables, um, explosive traits displayed at the combine and on film. Didn't have a ton of production in college. But a lot of that was due to the fact that he wasn't used, that he was using a variety of roles. He wasn't primarily an edge guy getting left of the quarterback. He did that, but he didn't do it as much as you might have expected. He's a guy that you look at, and I think I said this in my, in my mock draft, that I wouldn't be surprised if he's a guy who comes into the league and he's more productive in, in the pros than he was in college. He's that kind of guy. He's missed some significant time with injuries. You can't ignore that. But we're talking about round three, and we're talking about possibly getting a premier pass rusher in the third round. So I think you roll the dice. I think you look past the injuries. 
and you get a guy who you hope can be a difference maker off the edge. If you can't get him, if he's gone, as a lot of people are projecting now, if Toure goes sooner than that, my next pick, and even this guy is another player who I've seen mocked as a third, fourth-round guy, and you, you, you guys are familiar with Eric Galco if you listen to this show, Optimum Scouting, we've had him on. We talked to him about, about this player, and he said he liked him a lot. He says he thinks he's a top 50. NFL.com disagrees. Other mock drafts I've looked at disagree. But uh, Naheem Hines, when, is it Naeem? Naeem or Naeem Hines, running back out of NC State. I've watched a couple of his games. I've read a lot of the scouting reports on him because I like these versatile guys. Once, once I see that a player is multidimensional, can be moved around on offense, that, that, that's a flag for me. And I, and I want to dig a little bit deeper and watch him a little bit. So what we saw from Hines was a, a versatile guy who during, you know, during the combine, during workouts, he was asked to work as a slot receiver. He was asked to not just as a running back. And that's the type of guy he can be. You can, he can be on the field for all three downs, and he's a guy you can move around as a chess piece. He ran a 4-3-8 at Indy. So he's, you know, as much as I, I, as much as I want the primary positions in this draft to be addressed, I want them to be the, you know, these key spots that we talk about all the time, your corners, your quarterback, tackle, edge, all that stuff. That's where we're going quarterback, edge, if Toure is there. But if Toure isn't, and Hines is, then I, I think he's a guy who can, who can sort of transform this offense or play a big role in doing that. So two rays are primary. The backup pick, if he's not there, is Hines. The mocks I'm seeing now are telling me neither guy will be there. But again, some of these mocks are just all over the map. And one thing to keep in mind here, and this is probably a, a prime spot. This is a prime spot. And I try not to mock trades, but um, if Mike McCagney doesn't look to move down from this spot and add another pick. Because let's face it, the Jets are short on picks. They've only got six of them. They have enough needs that they'd probably like, probably like some more. Um, but, of course, as we know, it takes two to tango. So will they trade down? Remains to be seen. But if they can, I think this is a good spot to do it. And it's another thing to keep in mind when you're thinking about, you know, what the Jets are going to do in round three. Fans don't like to see it because they want those, they want those picks to roll in. Uh, you know, they want those names to roll in when they're making picks. But a trade down in round three, I wouldn't rule it out. I almost went with that at the primary but I decided I would go just with players with the footnote. Of course, and you know, trade at any freaking point. But uh, I would think that's a spot where they would look to move down. So that's our three. Round four, 107 overall. Another name that, as I said earlier, or with the last with uh, with Toure and Hines, um, a name that I was consistently seeing as a fourth and fifth round guy. Now I'm seeing as a third round guy. So I just kind of split the difference. I've seen them mocked in the third, the fourth, and the fifth. I went with the assumption he'll be there in the fourth. And we're going, you know, a spot where the Jets need to do some rebuilding or at least some uh, building some depth and for the future. Alex Kappa from Humboldt State. Hard to find film on the guy because he played at a small school. But if you watch the Senior Bowl and if you've read the scouting reports on him and watch whatever footage you can online of him, which, again, there's not much, but I watched what I could. The guy's absolutely he's, – he's just a violent player who just he, – when he gets his hands on somebody, he, 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 he ragdolls them. And I – no, that's not going to happen in the pros. I get that. He's doing that at low-level competition 
in you know in, in at Humboldt State, but the motor, the intensity, the skill set that allows him to do that, that translates to a, a a really good interior lineman in the pros, whether it's at center or guard in the future. He played tackle in college, unlike that's not going to happen in the pros. Thirty-three inch arms, just not going to see it. So he's going to he's going to kick to the inside, and I know the Jets signed Spencer Long, and I know the Jets. Uh, brought back Jonathan Harrison, and I know the Jets brought in uh, Travis Swanson from Detroit. By the way, I can't even remember if I talked about that move. I, I don't like that move one bit. Um, to me, waste of a roster spot, waste of money, bring in a rookie center. Um, it's, that makes no sense. I, I don't. We'll see. I hope I'm wrong. Hope he plays great. Don't see it happening. But Alex Kappa, Humboldt State interior lineman, interior lineman is my pick. I think that he can play center, and let's face it. James Carpenter, I'm still not convinced he's safe going into this year. I think if they can replace him in the draft, they'll do it. They'll cut him and save that $4 million, Or they'll stick with him, give him one more shot to make things work in his own offense, um, which we have no reason to believe will succeed. And this, I'm not saying that because I dislike James Carpenter. He's one of my favorite guys on the team. Um, you know, really good player in, in the right system, but not this system. So if he's going to stick around, he, st- he sticks around. Time will tell. But even if he does, he's got one year left on his deal, and he's not coming back. So this is where, in the fourth round, if you can get an Alex Kappa, work him in a guard, maybe at center, where, again, Long has had injury issues. And he's on a, he, he signed a four-year deal, but it's a one-year prove it. We've talked about that. The Jets can cut him after this season with no salary cap hit, or with, you know, with no dead money. So Long might be a one-year guy, and Carpenter has one year left on his deal. So they need to address the middle of that line at some point in this draft. And I think that's a good spot to do it in. Our alternate for this spot is going to be Jalen Holmes, defensive end out of Ohio State. Mo Wilkerson's gone. Thank goodness for that. There are still some bodies in place, some good players in place. Um, whether it's Steve McClendon, who we talk about ad nauseum in terms of his how underrated he is. Very good player. Jets are lucky to have him, but he's getting a little bit long in the tooth, probably not around for more than another year or two. Again, no Mo Wilk, Coney Ely, as many of you probably saw, went ahead and signed with the Cowboys for pennies, by the way. Um, I really thought the Jets would have some interest in bringing Coney Ely back. He ended up leaving, signing with Dallas for like, I don't know, 900000 or 1.2 and 800 guaranteed, something like that. So really small, you know, comparatively, you know, or relatively to what people were expecting. So they do need some depth there. They do need some youth. And Jalen Holmes is a guy who uh, who can fill that, who can you know fill that role as a guy rotational player early on, and eventually you know take over for <clears throat> Steve McClendon uh, sometime down the road. Jalen Holmes, good player, big program, productive guy, uh, and some you know again with with these with these projections I've seen him going anywhere from round three to five, so again just kind of fell in the middle said fine round four, put him there and uh, and go with it. So that that makes Alex Kappa the primary pick for round four, with the backup pick being Jalen Holmes out of Ohio State. Now the fifth round, this is a pick. That, again, these projections, I'm having a hard time myself believing some of these are right. 
But this is a guy who I am consistently, consistently seeing in the fifth round, sixth round, seventh round. I mean, it's really it's it's crazy at this point to see where some of these guys are being projected. Um, but if this guy's here in the fifth, if and I'm the Jets, I'm thrilled. And uh, I'm taking tight end Troy Fumagalli from Wisconsin because this guy, I mean, he is he is everything the Jets lack in the tight end. He's he can block. He's got fantastic hands. Well, he got nine fingers. Despite nine fingers, watch watch some of the work this guy's done. Go online, watch some of his full games. Watch him block. Watch him catch the football. If you don't have time to watch a full game, just look at some internet. Some uh, some. Some highlight reels. I mean, the guy makes some unbelievable catches. Six foot six. Could be an immediate difference maker in the red zone. And imagine, I mean, imagine taking a guy, imagine grabbing a six foot six tight end. And I know I mentioned this on a, a previous show, and I'm going to get more into this a little bit more. But this offense, people are, you know, and I try not to be too much of a homer. I really do. And I try to look at everything objectively. But especially with with these developments Robbie Anderson having all of his charges dropped he might only be susp- he might only be facing like a one game suspension if we go off of history and look at guys like Sheldon Richardson so if Robbie Anderson is looking at a one game suspension the Jets are in position to have Robbie Anderson and Terrell Pryor on the outside you're talking about two guys that are 6364 and both run sub 4440s and then you have Jermaine Curse Quincy Nunwa if he's healthy he's another 445 guy you have the you have the kids and Stewart and Hanson. I mean, they're going to be able to open things up in a big way underneath. At least they should be. You throw in a six six tight end to, to to work the middle of the field with with Pryor and Anderson opening things up. There's a lot of opportunity for a tight end to excel in this offense if you know if the quarterback play is is good enough and and depending on how Jeremy Bates runs the show. But I have a hard time envisioning this offense not being explosive because again, at Quincy four four five. Healthy Anunua, that that's that's three guys on the field at once. Two of them six three plus in the four four. Well, two of them under four four. The other one in the four fours. And then you throw in a six six tight end. I love that. I that, that as as a safety valve, six foot six safety valve. Um, and you know, of course, any team can say sure throw in a six six guy, but that doesn't make as much difference when if teams can you know crowd the inner you know crowd your offense from twenty yards and inks, they don't have to respect the deep ball. You're playing the Jets. You're gonna to have to respect the depot on both sides of the field. Safeties are gonna to have to back off, and that's gonna leave your linebackers one on one with this guy. So that's my hope there. And now the other, the alternate pick here, and of course some of this, what comes into play here is whether or not, you know, whether or not they can get a a, a two ray earlier in the draft. And as was the case with two ray with uh, some some durability issues, this guy's got even more durability issues. Um, he's missed a ton of time at Utah. But Kylie Fitz, Kylie Fitz, edge rusher from Utah. This guy missed, I think he only played, I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but I believe he played in 22 games at Utah. Only 22 games. His Again, his his combine, his combine stuff was, uh, was combine numbers showed great traits in terms of explosiveness. His film shows great explosiveness. And I believe he had a total of 15 sacks in just 22 games, which is really that, – I mean, that, that's an eye-popping number. That's a guy – even if – even if, when you're drafting a guy that late, 
even if you use him as a situational pass rusher, to say, hey, let's find a way to kind of limit his, you know, the the, the risk of injury, and and put him in a, a situation where he's going to have an opportunity to get after the quarterback 12, 13, 14 times a game and and make some plays. I mean, it, it's tough to ignore production like that. And here it is, actually. I just looked it up. So he played, yeah, 22 college games. In 22 games, he had 14, oh, I'm sorry, 11 and a half sacks, 14 tackles for loss. This guy gets into the backfield. Okay? But the issue, again, last year, played only eight games. The year before, one game. The year before that, his most, uh, his most extensive playing time, played 12 games, had seven sacks. Uh, freshman year, he only played one game. That was at UCLA before he went to Utah. So, again, 22 games, but double-digit sacks and double-digit TFLs and 11 passes defended, forced five fumbles. This guy could be a playmaker. He could also be, hey, look, you may, he may wash out of the league with injuries. But, listen, that's, I mean, most guys who you're taking that late wash out of the league for one reason or another. Why not roll the dice on a guy who could be a legitimate difference maker off the edge with something that, you know, something you haven't, that, that you've been lacking for that long. So he's, he's, our, he's our second choice behind Fumagalli in round five. Kylie Fitz out of Utah. This brings us to round six. Sixth round, again, you know, the deeper in the draft you get, the less likely these guys make the team. You want to get some developmental guys here. You want to get, get guys who have traits, guys that you look at and say, okay, not a polished player. If he was, he'd be going earlier. But a guy who has workable traits, things that we can, you know, try to develop over time. And this guy can be, you know, a contributor down the road for this pick. And I actually saw a mock draft today. I forget who it was. Uh, I don't want to credit him. Tony Pauline, maybe. I forget who. I don't know. Um, but actually, and I think it was the sixth round, fifth or sixth, had this exact player going with the Jets. Uh, Timon Paris out of Stony Brook. So local guy just up the road. Um, he's got excellent size, plays with a mean streak, and he's got, you know, much, you know, for a guy his size, 300-plus, really quick feet. A lot of people feel like he could eventually be a starting left tackle in the league. And to get a guy like that in the sixth round is a, is a great opportunity. I've seen him mocked much earlier. Well, sorry, not much earlier. I've seen him mock sort of fifth round. I don't think I've seen him higher than that. So round six, you get a guy who's a developmental guy, could step in at some point because, again, much like James Carpenter having one year, um, Kelvin Beecham has, you know, he's got a few years left on his deal, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Jets look to move on from him if they can find a better option. I do believe, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, but I think next year, if the Jets, if the Jets get a quarterback in this draft, I think next year the, the top target becomes left tackle, um, especially if they can find an edge guy in this draft because you've you got to have a guy there you can count on. And Beecham is good. I've said it before. Kelvin Beecham, good player. Not a great player, but he plays at a decent level, and he's paid at a decent level, you know, in terms of left tackles. Middle-of-the-pack salary, middle-of-the-pack performer. I have no issue with, you know, living with him for another year, maybe even two. You know, when people say this, you know, this this entire line has to be overhauled, I'll replace everybody. That's, that's just idiocy. You can't do that. And really, Beecham was probably the best, of a, granted, of a bad bunch last year. But uh, but he did a solid job. And sometimes you're going to have that in league. <laughs> no, sorry, not sometimes, all the time. 
some, you know, some guys on every roster are good football players. And fans sometimes get wrapped up in the fact that a guy isn't a pro bowler or a guy isn't an all pro. Well, then he must suck. There's, there's no middle ground for some people. In reality, to teams, executives, GMs, there is middle ground. And if you have a good player in a specific spot, you're not pressed to replace him right this minute. You're going to go after your more pressing needs. So in the next year or two, left tackle becomes a bigger issue. That's when the Jets may target someone higher. But nothing wrong with using a sixth-round pick this year to try to get a guy who could be, uh, who may eventually be that starting left tackle, maybe a swing tackle for you, whatever it may be down the road. Our alternate pick for the sixth round, we're going to go with uh, NC State D lineman Contavious Street. Um, unfortunate situation for him, as some of you may have heard. He injured himself during a pro day recently, torn ACL, out for the year. So he's done for the season. And for me personally, it's stuff like that I feel like teams should take advantage of, namely the Jets. Again, they need some depth on the D-line. If you're going to write him off for a year, a guy who's projected third, fourth rounder, I have no problem with that. As you know, as we said, as we all know, these the later you go in the draft, the more likely these guys are to wash out. So when you're picking in the sixth round, you're usually picking a guy who has about a 15% chance to stick in the league. Why not grab a guy, even if it means he's got to take a season off on injured reserve to come back next year and be a guy who can fight for some significant playing time? Contavious Street, very athletic guy. Um, coaches at NC State spoke very highly of him. Undervalued player, or underrated player. And I would, I would have no problem with the Jets saying, let's grab this guy, let's put him on IR, and, uh, and we can start him next year. Or let him, let him fight for a starting spot next year. Makes, uh, makes perfect sense to me. So that brings us to round seven. Final round. And this one, uh, a couple people had some, some choice words for this, uh, which is fine. That's a, you know, these are all about throwing out opinions and, and getting feedback. And uh, I don't know. I, I think that when you look at the Jets quarterback depth chart right now, even if, let's say, you put pick three, whoever it is, let's say pick three is is on your depth chart with Josh McCown, with Teddy Bridgewater, with Bryce Petty, Christian Hackenberg, Joel Stave. You're looking at six quarterbacks. But let's let's get real for a minute here. Josh McCown is 39 years old. This is his last season, if he plays a full season, if he stays healthy. Um, I mean, really, none of us hope he plays a full season because whoever gets taken a three needs to step up and take that job at some point. But you've got Josh McCown. You've got Teddy Bridgewater. Hasn't taken a meaningful snap in two years. Took a couple snaps in a late-season game last year. Uh, handed it off a couple times through one or two passes. But, I mean, let's face it, it's, he hasn't played a game. He hasn't played more than a couple snaps in a couple years. We have no idea what's, gonna, what's going on with Teddy Bridgewater's leg or how, you know, how he's going to hold up to the, the rigors of a full season. He might not make it past training camp. Then you have Bryce Petty. Does anyone think Bryce Petty's a long-term guy on this roster anymore? Does anyone think Bryce Petty is safe? I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I'd say highly, highly, highly unlikely. He's around. Could even see him being moved during the draft. If he Now, what value does he have? We don't know. I mean, it's hard to believe he would have any value based on how he played. 
But we do know, or at least it was reported last season, that multiple teams contacted the Jets to try to trade for Bryce Petty, and the Jets wouldn't give him up. Now, it, it may have been that they were offering a seventh rounder. Who knows? But if there was a team that maybe was offering a fifth last year, maybe you call that same team and say, do you want him for a seventh? Because there's a lot of egos in this league. Guys, guys can guys can fail. Guys can get drafted and look terrible for your team. And all you need is two other executives out there who feel like, you know what, we could turn him into something. Or one, sometimes one. There's one guy who looks at him and says, I like that kid coming out of Baylor. My coaching staff, my QB coach, my O coordinator, they like him. They think they can make him a, a viable backup. And to us, that's worth a sixth or seventh rounder. And maybe move Bryce Petty for a sixth or seventh rounder. Unlikely. Not impossible. But either way, either scenario, and Bryce Petty's off the roster. Christian Hackenberg, would anyone be surprised if he's not on the roster when the season opens up? He's been terrible. There's no way to sugarcoat it. It's, he's been a, he's been terrible. He's done, he's done. He hasn't done one thing that makes you look at him and say, "Oh, this could be it. He he could be the guy." It, for him to stick in this league is going to take a turnaround of, of epic proportions. To go from a guy who can't do anything right to being a, a viable NFL quarterback, it, I don't see it happening. So, and I don't I don't know anybody who does. Anybody who lives outside of the state of Pennsylvania and you know didn't go to Penn State. And then Joel Stave, camp body, he's gone. So what does that leave you with? McCown for a year. Bridgewater might not even make the roster. Petty, probably gone. Hackenberg, probably gone. Joel Stave, gone. What are you left with? You're number three? And, you know, maybe Hack shows enough that they keep him around. But what I'm getting at here with this long-winded explanation is four, is because round seven – I'm saying grab Chase Linton out of Marshall, another quarterback. I know you took one at the top of the draft. Take another one here. Cut ties with Petty. Cut ties with Hack. Cut ties with Stave. You go into camp with four bodies. If Bridgewater and McCown light it up and really impress, you try to stash Linton on the practice squad. I mean, let's face it. If he makes it this far, what are the odds that there's a team dying to have him? If any team can have him that late. This team, they need answers at quarterback, and it's not just at the top of the depth chart. They, that, that's going to be answered early in the draft. Later on, take another guy. Take Chase Linton. Take any of the seventh-round guys. Linton's the name that I like, the guy that I like the most, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you I've watched three, four, five games of every guy who's projected to go in the sixth, seventh round, but from what I have had time to pick through, I like Linton. So we'll see. The alternate there, and this is a, this is a guy who's honestly uh, – it just in the last couple of days, really, has become one of the more interesting possibilities or one of the more interesting players for me personally because he's another one who just uh, just a couple of weeks ago, every, again, everything I saw was saying sixth rounder, seventh rounder, um, you know, last day of the draft could be, you know, he's going to be some team's last pick. But now I'm here, I'm starting to see a little bit of, you know, a couple whispers here and there that this guy is uh, one of the better corners in the draft. Or at least, sorry, not one of the better, but good enough. I, I looked at uh, NDT Scouting. Check them out. NDTscouting.com. 
They have a, they've ranked all 300 players in the draft. So I'm thinking if you're a sixth, seventh round guy, you're going to be ranked well under the 200s, 270, 280. Um, and, you know, a lot of it due to playing at a small school. But Danny Johnson out of Southern, I actually had him, if I'm not mistaken, I had him as the Jets' seventh round, sixth or seventh round pick in the first mock draft I did. He might be the only name that appeared on both drafts. I like them. And then I have him here as the seventh rounder, the alternate seventh rounder, if, if not Linton. Um, in this draft, he's got some he's got some punt return, some punt return ability. But then I look and see NDT scouting to see where they rank him. They got him at 128, which is not bad. That's sort of, you know, that's that's not that's not seventh round territory, especially for a corner. When you figure in positional value, this guy could go in the you know third fourth round, if other teams have him ranked along the lines of where NDT scouting has him. So we'll see, but he, he's played on the outside. He's played. He's played in the slot. I like him as a slot guy. I don't think the Jets have a true slot guy on the roster. I know people talk about Buster Screen as a slot guy, but let's face it, he's probably better on the outside than he is in the slot. People don't often say that because people just don't realize it. Slot corner was the kind of the label stuck on Buster Screen when he got here, so that's all people talk about him as. Um, but really, he's done his best work with the Jets. And I, you know, use that term loosely because there hasn't been a lot of great work. There's been some good, enough good for him to stick around. But uh, in the slot, he's been pretty atrocious. Danny Johnson is a guy who, uh, again, he's got experience inside and outside and as a punt returner. And as a seventh-round pick, I think would be an absolute steal. But uh, starting to see him in some mocks that have him going far sooner than round seven. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see who's right, who's wrong about Danny Johnson, again, small school guy. So just a quick recap. Round one, we have Baker Mayfield with the assumption that Josh Rosen is gone, and perhaps even if he's not, as I said earlier, Rich Samini of ESPN New York, a longtime Jets beat writer, saying that he feels that Mayfield is the Jets' target at three regardless. But our backup pick, Alternate pick if Mayfield is not, or if if uh, if it's not Mayfield, then we're going to say Josh Rosen of the UCLA. Third round, Jets address their next biggest need, edge rusher, Kamoko Toure out of Rutgers. The backup pick there is Naheem Hines out of NC State. Explosive guy, ran a 4-3-8, can move around, catches the ball well, gives you a nice chess piece on offense. In the fourth round, it's Alex Kappa out of Humboldt State. Didn't play to... Uh, Big school, didn't play against high high level of competition, but was very impressive at the Senior Bowl, and uh, you know just as, as about as physical as they get. Daniel Jeremiah and Mike Mayock couldn't say enough about how intense and, and violent that guy was in the trenches, and I mean who doesn't want a guy like that on your team, right? Alternate pick there is Jalen Holmes, defensive end out of Ohio State. The Jets do need some depth there. See what happens. Round five, as I said earlier. Fumagalli, Troy Fumagalli out of Wisconsin, great option in the middle of the field, 6'6", he can block. You know, the Jets have a guy who can block in Eric Tomlinson. They have a guy who hopefully, we don't know yet, hopefully can catch the ball a little bit in Jordan Leggett. Um, Neil Sterling also impressed a little bit. Jets have added a couple guys for free agency, but really nobody who, nobody who's got that combination. Great size, great hands, and good blocker. Not a great blocker, but a good blocker. So he would instantly become a guy who could rise to the top of the Jets' depth chart even if you get him in round five. Whether or not he does, wherever he goes, we'll see. Uh, had someone tell me earlier they think he's the type of guy the Patriots go after. And I certainly hope not because 
that's not a guy that you want to see uh you want to try to game plan for. The backup pick there is Kylie Fitz, as we mentioned earlier. A lot of injuries in college, but very, very productive as an edge rusher, and he will get drafted. He he will be drafted quite high, or higher than you would expect for a guy who's missed as much time as he's missed, is what I should say. Um, I've, again, seen him projected earlier than this. I've seen him projected later than this. We'll see where that goes. Sixth round, 179 overall, Timon Paris, Stony Brook. Good size at left tackle, uh, good intensity, highly regarded guys, a, a, a late-round steal. I've seen him on a couple of lists as you know, sort of a sleeper pick, as I mentioned earlier. Saw him mocked to the Jets uh, by one of the, uh, I, again, I, I don't know if it was CBS Sports, whoever it was. It was a full seven-round mock, had Paris going to the Jets in round six. The alternate there was Contavious Street, who we know is going to miss the season with a torn ACL. But why not roll the dice on a guy who is going to miss a full season but whose talent justifies a much higher draft slot? That's a a win-win situation, if you ask me. And as I said earlier and broke down the reasoning why you go with another quarterback here, Chase Linton out of Marshall, I think Petty Hack and Stave are gone. We don't know what to expect from Bridgewater's knee. Too many questions. Too many – zero answers are quarterback at this point. We don't know who's going to be around. Uh – we have a pretty good idea who won't, and to me that leaves a, an open spot for another body at quarterback. The alternate, and, to, and honestly, the more I look at it from my view, if Danny Johnson's on the board, I'd probably flip these two. I'd probably make Witten the backup and have Danny Johnson be my, my top choice for that seventh-round pick if he's still there. But if NDT has it right, he won't be there. You're not going to find a quarterback who's ranked in the middle of the pack who goes at the bottom of the draft. More likely he moves up then moves down. So that wraps that up. Hope you uh hope you like some of the picks. If not, you know, listen, that's what these mock drafts are about. People write them, people publish them, put them out there and you just get torn up and it kind of goes with the territory. It's uh it's a fun exercise. Fun to think about different perspectives on where guys fit, why guys make sense, why guys don't make sense. A lot of different things, you know, I mean countless possibilities. And let's face it, we are all beyond ready to have those uh, those possibilities to, you know, have these scenarios play out. Just like let's get it over with, because not only is it building your uh, your roster, but it's 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 another it's another uh, monumental moment in the off season where it's uh, all right, we're that much closer to the season, we're that much closer to football, and uh, and really that can't get here fast enough either. So of course, the man pulling the trigger on draft day, making these picks, is going to be Mike McCagnin. It's going to be his fourth draft with the team. He's had uh, three drafts with mixed results, which is, I mean, honestly, (laughs) what GM doesn't have mixed results. Some results, obviously, though, better than others for other GMs. McCagnin's had some hits, some misses, and uh, and let's face it, three drafts, I mean, you can really only sensibly kind of say the results are in for one of them and just more of a progress report, I suppose, on the other spots, the other the other years. But let's take a look. What I want to take a look at first is because uh, I mentioned it earlier, and I, I brought it up in the last show, maybe in the one before that, I forget, about fans saying how tired they are of uh, of Mike McCagnin taking the safe way out. And I threw out some names of, of former first-round picks that were just not very good, whether it's because how they were used or who they played under. 
their production on the field, their behavior off it, whatever, how many, you know, if they ever re-sign with the team, that type of stuff. So let's go back and take a look real quick and first compare Mike McAgnon's first-round picks to the, the picks over the last 20 years or the 17 previous years. So right now you've got Leonard Williams, Mike McAgnon's first first-round pick, who the team is Manish Mehta, New York Daily News, reporting that the team's expected to exercise a fifth-year option. Shocking move, I know. That was about uh, the easiest decision Mike McAgnon had to make this offseason. So Leo's options are getting picked up. Of course, in year two, first round, Darren Lee. He's been up and down. He's been uh, more bad than good, but he's at least shown some signs. He's done some things that make you think, all right, this guy might be a good player in the league. You know, but you give it a year or two, he's, you know, year, well, at least a year from now, he's only been in the league two years. Then, of course, this past offseason, picking sixth overall again, it was Jamal Adams who had a had himself a nice rookie season and and looks to be really a, a piece that is going to be in place for a while. Um, I don't think you'd find anyone in their right mind who who doesn't think Jamal Adams is going to be a very good player. So that's Mike McCagney's three first-round picks. Jamal Adams, which, as, as I said, most would agree is going to be around for a very long time. Darren Lee, he's a question mark at this point. Done some, done some things well. Other things, not so well. Then Leonard Williams right behind him. Um, and he's another guy who's going to be around here for a long time. So you got Leo, you got Darren Lee, you got Jamal Adams. So those are, those are Mike McCagney's three, three first-round picks. And people are tired of this, this safe approach. Let's, 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 stop being, let's stop taking the best player is what some people are saying. So going back, let's go back 20 years. Let's go, let's go back to 2017. Okay, and I'm, I'm going to rattle some of these names off, and uh, with a with a quick quick synopsis of of how exactly their careers unfolded with the Jets, good, bad, or otherwise. James Farrier, 1997, first round pick for the Jets. 97, eighth overall, eighth eighth overall pick out of Virginia. So James Farrier, people say, oh, he was a great player, he had a really really good career, which he did, but. He had a really good career when he left the Jets. So you can't call him a bust, but he wasn't of much value to the, to the Jets. The Jets played him out of position. I believe they had him playing outside a lot. Then he goes to Pittsburgh. He played, what, he played uh, five years, five, six years in the Jets. Um, it wasn't until his final season that he really came into his own, which, you know, typical, right? 53 tackles year one. Then over the next three years, he starts two games, four games, six games. He's a backup. Then he gets back in a starting role in 2001, 106 tackles. And then, of course, he hits free agency. He goes to Pittsburgh and becomes, you know, a, a key cog in the middle of that Steelers defense for many years. He wins some Super Bowls. So as a Jet, he was a pedestrian linebacker who had one good year, moved on to greener pastures, and had himself a damn good career. So again, you can't call it a bust, but he didn't do a whole didn't do a whole hell of a lot with the Jets. Then you go ninety eight, no first round pick. Jets didn't have a first rounder that year. They didn't pick till the second round. Dorian Boose out of Washington State, and Dorian Boose we're not even talk. Well, he, again, second rounder doesn't matter. He was terrible. Ninety nine, no first round pick. First pick they made was Randy Thomas, second rounder, damn good player. But again, 
not a first round guy. Two thousand. Now this is you know the this this draft. I mean, look, this draft yielded some great results in terms of individual accomplishments, but the team never won anything. But still, we're just 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 looking at whether or not the the first rounders were quality picks. You had Sean Ellis taken at twelve. The next pick you took John Abraham at thirteen, arguably the 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 you know two of the best picks, best first rounders the Jets have ever made. And five picks later, you get Chad Pennington at 18. And then Anthony Beck, tight end, goes at uh, 27 out of West Virginia. So Ellis was fantastic. Abraham, fantastic until he got traded. Pennington, we all know the story there. Had himself a nice year or two. Couldn't stay healthy. Uh, Probably would have been a middle-of-the-road to upper-level quarterback if he'd stayed healthy, but he didn't. And Beck, who was a – he's kind of a jag tight end. Good for a few catches. Went down on first contact. He wasn't a guy anybody game planned for. He wasn't a game breaker. He was a solid blocker. Uh, catch the ball down on first contact. Uh, you know, nothing to write home about, but a contributor. And that you know, it's let's face it. You know, it's different levels of production you can get and get out of these picks. Some guys going to be you know, some guys going to be great. Some guys going to be out of the league in a, in a year or two. And then there's going to be everybody in between. And Anthony Beck falls somewhere in between. You couldn't say you don't you can't say he's a failure of a pick, but he wasn't what you hoped to get out of a first rounder. Following year, Santana Moss. Again, another guy. Played well with the Jets. Or sorry, didn't do much with the Jets. Had one big season in two thousand three, but let's face it, he was limited in the fact that he played with uh, you know, Chad Bennington for a lot of his time. Didn't have a quarterback with the arm to get on the ball. He goes to Washington his first year there, he has almost fifteen hundred yards receiving. Crazy. So, was it a bust pick? No, but he didn't do a whole lot with the Jets. No fault of his own, though. If we're going to be if we're going to be honest about the situation, Brian Thomas, another first round pick. He will always be remembered for being picked ahead of Ed Reed. Who, listen, you know, you can second guess drafts until the cows come home. Every single year, go and look at the draft order, look at every player that was taken after the guy that your team took, and say, look how stupid we are. We did this. But I think the Ed Reed thing stands out because it's kind of along the lines of the the Kyle Brady over Warren Sapp pick. Like, Jets fans knew this team needed a DB. And the last thing they needed was was another body for that front seven. They already had Ellison Abraham. They needed that DB to, to be a difference maker on the back end. Jets fans wanted Ed Reed. The Jets went with Brian Thomas. He had himself an average career. Solid player. Good player. Nothing great. Dwayne Robertson. Kind of feel for that guy, if I'm being honest. He was miscast. First of all, he had a degenerative hip condition the team knew about, and they still drafted him. That makes the team idiots right off the bat. You just drafted a guy and paid him a ton of money, and you know that his hip is falling apart. This is what the Jets do. Traded up to take him at number four overall. Um, but the guy, he was miscast in Eric Mangini's defense. He was probably 30 or 40 pounds too light to play the spot Eric Mangini had him playing. The guy didn't complain, busted his ass, held his own. Wasn't great but held his own, um, had his career cut short due to injuries. So based on the fact you traded up multiple picks to get him, you knew he was injured, he was gone after a few years, it's hard not to call that one a bust. But, uh, again, I think he, uh, had he been healthy and had he been put in the right system, I think he would have had himself a longer career. Following year, Jonathan Vilman, year one, again, a very good player, but was miscast in Eric Mangini's system. Unlike Robertson, who was kept to play in the wrong spot, they traded Jonathan Vilma, who was a good player, went on to win a Super Bowl with the Saints. 
following year, no first-round pick. The year after that, two first-round picks, DeBrick and Nick Mangold. Fantastic, fantastic draft. The rest of that draft was, was not very good at all, but at the top two, really nice, really nice haul. 2007, Darrell Rivas. Nothing needs to be said there. We know how great he was. The following year, two more first-round picks. Golf, Vernon Golston, arguably the biggest bust in draft history, at least in terms of the Jets. Then Dustin Keller, at the back when the Jets traded back up into round one, grabbed him with a 30th pick. Good player. Following year, Mark Sanchez. Defensive running game carried him to some playoff wins. He is a player himself. Was never very good. Kyle Wilson, the following year, bust. Muhammad Wilkerson played until he got paid. Then he was a bust. Quinton Copels, all the talent in the world, not enough heart, bust. Dee Milner, couldn't stay healthy, bust. Sheldon Richardson, incredibly talented player, some off-field issues, had to be traded, never made it to a second contract with the Jets. Can't call him a bust, but when your first-rounder is off the team after a few years, it's still not, it's still not the outcome you're looking for with these first-round picks. Then after, after we saw Milner and Sheldon, uh, the following season, Calvin Pryor, bust. So a lot, a lot of busts on that list. A lot of guys who were just terrible, out of the league, off the team, in a matter of a couple seasons. Comparing that to Leonard Williams, Darren Lee, Jamal Adams. Adams and Williams aren't going anywhere for a while. Every reason to believe they'll be significantly better than the majority of first-rounders we just mentioned. And then Darren Lee, the jury is still out. So a little bit premature to, you know, to say who's going to be what in terms of the guys taking the last couple of years. But I, I think it's fair to say that Mike McCagnin, looking back at how the team is drafted, especially especially the seven or eight years right before McCagnin's arrival, um, that, was, that was some rough territory with those picks. And now in terms of uh, – in terms of looking at where Mike McCagnin has hit and where he's missed in rounds one through seven, look at his first draft, okay? It, right now, it, it looks to be a complete disaster. Well, it, all but one player in Leo. So you get Leo at one. Then you take Devin Smith in the second round, 37th overall. Now, because hindsight's twenty twenty, and revisionist history and all this stuff, People rip the pick, they trash the pick, stupid this, stupid that. Fans were overwhelmingly on board with this move when it was made. Analysts graded it, you know, gave it a very good grade. He was an explosive player at Ohio State. Everyone expected the same from him in the NFL. I think it was Ray Lucas, former Jets quarterback, current analyst, said you throw this guy a 50-50 ball, it's a 70-30 ball. He's going to come up with it. You know, not not great height, but great timing, high point the ball. Everybody said this was a great pick. As it turns out, he's, he's just been riddled with injuries, one injury after the next. So, IR a couple seasons in a row. He's only played 14 games in three years now. So, is he on his way out of the league? Quite possibly. It's one of those things where the Jets probably keep him around because why the hell not? He's cheap enough and he's a second rounder and he's got enough talent. Let's see what he can do but I think at this point expectations are close to nil. Lorenzo Malden, outside linebacker, Louisville, another bust. Well, I'm sorry, I, another injury, potential injury bust. He, he flashed as a rookie. He looked good as a, a situational pass rusher. 
Year two was up and down for him. And then last year, that and I, I've said this before, the thing that irked me about last year, he got hurt, and it was just it was downplayed like he was, oh, he's going to miss a couple weeks, he'll be back soon. And then it became he misses the first preseason game, the next preseason game, another preseason game. And then all of a sudden it becomes, well, he's going to go to IR. You think, well, first he's in a couple weeks. Now it's been all of preseason. Now he's on, you know, temporary short-term IR. And then the window comes for him to be activated. He's still not activated. And then he has season-ending back surgery. So when you tell me you guys going to miss a couple weeks, a few weeks, and he misses an entire year, that's concerning. So that can be – that may end up being another bust due to injuries. But high-character guy, hard not to root for, and that would really be nice to see him bounce back and play well. Bryce Petty, as we discussed, probably on his way out. Jarvis Harrison never made it, never never appeared in the game, fifth-round pick. Deion Simon, Deion Simon's an interesting guy. Played well when given the opportunity, looked like he was going to make the roster again last year. Played really well in the preseason. Um, just didn't make it. Moved to the practice squad, and uh, Mike Pennell took his spot. And now that Pennell's been extended, I think Deion Simon may be gone. Um, time will tell, but I think that, uh, you know, it looked like that might have been a decent class just in in being able to say, hey, if Leo pans out, if Petty becomes a decent backup and you keep playing Simon, that's not a bad draft class. As it turns out, Petty regressed last year from the previous year, and Simon's been surpassed on the depth chart and uh, and may not be around this year. So when all said and done, you might be down to Leonard Williams out of that entire draft class if Devin Smith and Leonard and Lorenzo Malden don't come back from their injuries, which at this point, who the hell knows? Um, year two, Darren Lee, as we said, versatile, well, guy, guy who can be used in a lot of different roles. Todd Bowles doesn't move him around quite as much as I expected him to. I thought we see him rushing off the edge a lot more, but we don't. But he's had his ups and downs. He's shown he can play in the league. It, it's going to come down to whether or not he can play at a high level. Christian Hackenberg, complete bust. Um, just thank God that guy was a second-round pick, and not worse. I mean, taking him in the first would have been even that much more inexcusable. But um, when you look at some of the – I mean, he, he's up there. It, the only reason he's not a bigger bust than Vernon Goldsmith is because he was taken in round two. Um, but the fact that he hasn't gotten on the field is just embarrassing. Jordan Jenkins, it might was one of Max's better picks. Third rounder out of Georgia, edge setter. Um, he's not going to be a big sack guy, but the comparison has been made a million times, and rightfully so. He's, uh, he's the next Calvin Pace. You know, he's a guy who's going to carve out a nice 8-, 9-, 10-year career doing what he does, uh, get you the occasional sack, but he's going to be a guy who holds up his side of the his side of the defense. Justin Burris, corner out of uh, North Carolina State, looked good in camp as a rookie, didn't get on the field very much. The team said they wanted to get him out there more in year two. They did, and it was more bad than good from him. Uh, disappointing. I know me personally, i said many times on this show that I thought he was a guy that might emerge as a guy who uh, who stood out in training camp. Brandon Shell, another guy, taking him the next round, round five. This is a guy that, you know, he's, he's taken on that, that right tackle job. Has he, I, I would, he, he hasn't exactly taken it and run with it. He's still got some work to do, but he's played well enough. He's held on to that job. He's had some good days, some bad days. And with him, it's going to be about consistency. I think everybody realized when he was taken in round five, the Jets liked him. But, uh, but they knew it was going to be a couple years before he was solidified himself. Some days it looks like he might be the guy. Other days, a little bit off balance, leans over his feet too much, and uh, you, you see him getting getting moved around a little bit and abused. So he, his thing is consistency. I've heard some people say, you know, his pass, pass blocking is better than his run blocking. 
Is there a chance of moving to left tackle? I just don't see it happening. I think he's good enough for right tackle. Um, I don't think he's quite a, a guy who can play on the left side. Uh, Lack Edwards, your partner, taken in the seventh round. People overlook it, but field position's big, man. You gotta have you win that field position battle. You give yourself a much better chance to win the game every week. And uh, he's a guy that improved in almost every statistical category from year one to year two. So you have to like what Lack, Lack Edwards brings to the table, and and really underappreciated guy because of the position he plays. Sharon Peak, another injury guy, but let's again let's face it, seventh round guys, tough for them to stick, and uh, did some did some things in camp that you know he looked pretty impressive. Didn't do a whole lot after that, and then missed all of last season with an injury. So some hits in there and a few misses. Then of course last year, way way too early to judge these guys, but Jamal Adams, as we know, looked very good. Marcus May looked good at times, got beat up a little bit down the stretch. Or Darius Stewart and Chad Hansen, we didn't see nearly enough of them. Was that uh, was that on Todd Bowles? Was that on John Morton? We'll see if we see more of them this year. But listen, we've talked about it. They have 17 receivers on the roster right now. I mean, that's just insane. 17 wide receivers. I know it's camp. I know you know. I know it's off season. You carry 90 guys, but my goodness, 17 wide receivers. Someone's gonna go. And uh, I don't know if Chad Hansen and, and our Darius Stewart. I don't know if they shouldn't be a little bit worried. Jordan Leggett, another injury. Another injury guy last year, didn't really play. Dylan Donahue, another injury guy last year who didn't play, now having issues because of what we've learned, multiple DUIs. The team, though, does appear to be standing by him, having said that uh, they do have some patience, but it is not unlimited, and they will wait and see what happens there. Elijah McGuire, a guy that I liked a lot last year out of the draft, he uh, had some moments last year, wasn't great, but he looked good for a sixth-rounder, and he looked like a guy who probably make some plays if the if the blocking had been a little bit better up front. But uh, as we know, the O-line was a bit of a disaster. Beyond that, you had Jeremy Clark and Derek Jones, both projects, which is what you get that late in the draft. Clark out of Michigan, big guy, big corner, plays a little bit of safety, but didn't play last year. Was activated or taken off the injured list late, late last year, um, but didn't get in the game. Derek Jones, his insane off-the-charts measurables at the Combine, Made him a target for some teams. I believe he had a 40-some-inch vertical. Um, and the converted wide receiver from Ole Miss. So he was always going to be a project anyway, um, regardless of where he was drafted or where he landed, whether or not he sticks this year. I mean, I'd be surprised if he doesn't. I think, I think he's a guy you got they're going to give him every chance to try to find a, find a way to, for a guy that, that can uh, possibly be as electric as he can with his uh, size-speed combo and some of his uh, – some of his measurables. I mean, that stuff doesn't always translate, but teams will tend to uh, give a guy every chance to to make it work out. So that, that that's Mike McCagnon's picks in a nutshell. Of course, you know some undrafted guys, Robbie Anderson, um, who didn't even pick, and he, you know probably the second or third best player that he's uh, that he's acquired, drafted, however you want to term it, wasn't drafted, wasn't traded for. But uh, man, you know if, if he can never get his head on straight, he's going to be a dangerous guy. For many years, Doug Middleton was a guy that flashed as a rookie, got some playing time, looked like he was going to win a backup job last year uh, heading into the season, then he got himself injured. Again, undrafted guy, but uh, I think he'll, he'll he's another one who will get every chance to make the roster this year. So some good, some bad. You know, the highlights, of course, are the first-rounders with Adams and Williams. Then, of course, you know, you got a starting right tackle in show. you got a starting outside linebacker. And Jenkins, you got a, a, you know, at least at this point, a role playing back in, in McGuire. Um, you know, 
Stewart and Stewart and Hanson still need some time to see them. And uh and like I said, man, Deion Simon really thought really thought after the way he played in his first year that uh in his first couple of years that he was a guy who's gonna see some significant playing time. And uh looks like that won't be the case with Pendle back on board. So that's that for him. And uh and that's that for our show tonight. Uh plenty of draft talk and as I said at the top, I know we are all very much looking forward to this finally being over. All the speculation, all of the you know, the what ifs, who's gonna go at the top, who's the quarterback, and whether it's as I said myself, whether it's Mayfield but Rosen, you know, some people say Darnold is gonna fall. Um I'm I'm gonna be happy regardless because it to me it's on this staff to make it happen, to make it work. Somebody is gonna be Somebody's going to be taken with the third pick who's going to walk into that building in one Jets drive and is going to have the tools to be a franchise quarterback. And it's up to the staff to bring that out. And it's it's also down to their development. It's entirely possible the staff does the right things. And as we know, these guys are all projections. You know, if this guy continues on this arc, if this guy does this, this, and this, he'll become this. You can, you know, you, you can – Coach him up as much as you can and find out that uh, that a guy isn't good enough to be an elite quarterback. But as I said earlier, there's no reason that they, they shouldn't get a good quarterback out of this draft and uh, and be able to build around that guy moving forward. So that is it for us tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Um, be sure to tune in next week. It will be our, our normal. I know we don't have a quote-unquote normal time at the moment because it's been a little hectic, whether it's been technical stuff or getting getting uh getting guests lined up, that have, we've moved some shows around, and we are expecting to have someone next week. I'm going to confirm that before I say it. But uh, And as I said last week, we still have a couple options that we're looking at for a co-host, but we are not going to rush things because we want to try to make sure we get the right person in here and that it's a good fit for what we do. So as I said earlier, give me a follow at AceFan23, A-C-E-Fan23 on Twitter, and make sure that if you are not on the forums on JetNation.com that you get in the forums in JetNation.com because if you're a Jets fan and you love Jets talk, that's the place for you. There's a lot of great times, a lot of crazy people, and I guarantee you'll enjoy it. So everybody have a great night, and we will be with you again in just a few days. Probably, uh, what is it, Thursday? Yeah, so we're four or five days away from another show and four or five days closer to the NFL draft and what will hopefully be a franchise quarterback. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great night.